Welcome to the Financial Fun Podcast with your host, Tammy Johnston. This is where Tammy talks with business owner parents and grandparents about the interesting and important subject of money. We promise this to be an interesting and open discussion, as that's how we learn best. And now, here's your host, author of the Financial Foundations. Financial Foundations is a series of books to teach kids about money, goal setting, and living a balanced life. Find out more at financialfund.ca. Here's Tammy Johnston. First things first, I would like to thank all of my listeners that have subscribed and reviewed my podcast and invite you to subscribe and review if you haven't yet. I appreciate you helping us to get the word out and making financial literacy a safe and welcoming subject for kids and adults. Second, please check out my podcast website, financialfund.ca, where you will be able to access past shows, find out more about me and our guests, as well as purchase the beautifully illustrated Financial Foundations books that teach kids about money in a fun, healthy, and holistic way. Hello once again, and thank you for joining us for the Financial Fund Podcast. Today, our guest is Michael Tanny. Thank you for joining us, Michael. Thank you for having me. So, Michael, tell us about your business. What has you passionate? Well, so my business is Wonderlust Wealth. Uh, we're led by Goldman Sachs Wealth Management alumnus. Uh, we're an independent investment advisory firm, which help our clients to manage their investment assets in a professional and cost-effective way. So as a registered advisor, we operate by managing the assets directly under a power of attorney or giving the broader advisory services to clients who prefer to take the matters into their own hands. And what that means uh, in a non-jargon sense is that we help people create an investment experience that has the highest probability of success. That may be the highest rate of return per year, the most income generation, whatever it is that your goals are, that's what we try to do and we try to achieve. And I think we do a very good job. So what got, what got you into that? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny story, and, and when people hear it, sometimes they question if I'm telling the truth, but I'm telling the truth. When I was 13, I was in junior high school, and a teacher was teaching us the very basics about the stock market. And he challenged us and said, if your portfolio of stocks in the semester will beat mine, I will let you substitute your lowest grade for an automatic A. That is what you call proper motivation when you're 13 years old and not doing as well in a class as you like. <laughs> so I, I happened to get in, dig deep into it. And very quickly, I recognized that it's going to be luck in such a short period of time. But B, the most fascinating part of this was the idea that I could be working somewhere, using my hands, making money per hour, while my money was making money. So I could be making more than twice the amount or three times the amount, whatever number it is, without using my hands. And it was an incredible thought process. And, and over time, as I developed more of a discipline to investing and more of a, a holistic approach and started managing not only my money, but my family's money and my friend's money, it became very obvious to me that the power of compounding is a huge piece of the puzzle too. And so unlike some of your other guests who may have stumbled on their careers later on in life, this has been a passion of mine since before I did calculus. <laughs> um, so, so it's something I've done for a very long time and I love what I do. I love being able to help people. I love being able to take complicated situations, complicated formulas and just 
take them and simplify them and make the most efficient, reasonable, sensible, and understandable solution for people. And the value I provide to them short-term and long-term in the liberation of their personal finances is beyond rewarding. It's one of the few industries I think you have the power to change not only someone's lives now, lives now, but also in the future, and then the legacy they leave. And that legacy could be family members, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Uh, clearly, some of them may not even be born yet, and you don't know about them. Or it could be philanthropies or causes you're, you're, you're passionate about. Uh, but it's just a golden opportunity to, to make your life better and make all those people around you that you care about better. And it's, uh, it's an amazing privilege to, to be a trusted advisor for, for so many people. See, I, I, I love that because a lot of people think that, that kids don't want to learn about money and it's just complicated math and that. And no, it's not. Like, learning about compound interest and how you can have, like you said, your money working for you and it's just, kids get excited about that because that's magic. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And and when you said magic, it's funny because I teach financial literacy at a lot of the local colleges because I truly believe that in every stage of education, from elementary school all the way through college and even taking it to med school and, and professional graduate schools, there is a big miss in the education system. And this is not just in the United States. But oh, it's everywhere. Yeah, personal financial literacy is just skipped. And it's it's really a shame because... You don't need to be good at math to be wealthy. You don't need to be good at math to be a good business owner. You don't need to be good at math for success in life. But, and this is a big but, you need to be aware of the major pitfalls to avoid. And you'll be just fine. I joke sometimes with clients that, that if they play golf or bowling, you have a fairway in the rough or on the bowling alley, you have the lanes and then you have the gutters. My job sometimes is not always to get you that strike because it's not possible that you can consistently get a strike every single time or hit the ball 300 yards down the fairway straight. But if I can remove those left tail risks, what we call them in finance, or those opportunities to fall into the gutter or into the, into the rough, if I can remove those, your probability of success drastically increases. And with compound interest, uh, when I speak with a lot of these students, I talk to them about it, and and they don't really understand, nor do they believe that it works as powerfully as it does. So I'll have a spreadsheet, and I'll purposely put it up blank on the screen. And I'll say, let's input this together so you know I'm not making something up. And the power is truly incredible. And I, I, when I'm having trouble getting through to people because they still can't understand exactly how it works, I like to compare it to a snowball and a hill. And the concept is the hill is the amount of time. The length of the hill is the amount of time you have. The snow is money. And you are you. So if you start at the top of the hill and you take some snow and pack it into a tight ball, say it's a few inches big, and then start rolling it. Every time it rolls, the surface area expands. And every time the surface area expands, it picks up more and more snow. Think of that as your money earning money. Same concept. The beauty is that you can shovel more snow on your ball as you're rolling it down the hill. And at some point, the goal is you stop rolling that ball whenever you want to, when you're ready. And what that means to you could be that you're making the biggest snowman in the world. It could mean that you're you're saving up the snow to, to take pieces off and make some slushies out of it one day. Who knows? Whatever that means to you is not necessarily important at that moment. The point is that the earlier you start this compounding process, the more powerful it becomes and the more chance for success you have. And, and it's truly, truly amazing. Oh, it, it's such, it's such a 
simple yet life-changing concept. And also when it's working against you with like credit cards and other debt, when that's going against you, they don't understand that. And no, people don't need to be math whizzes or anything. If you can add, subtract, multiply, and divide and operate a basic calculator, you've got the math skills. But for me, with teaching the financial literacy, it's learning how to be comfortable asking the questions and being open to learning and evaluating. Absolutely right. And I mentioned that the, the people I speak with on financial literacy can range from all different ages. Uh, and, and sometimes I'll speak with doctors who are residents. So, so they're not officially doctors yet, I don't think the term is, but they are, they are training to be the best doctor they can possibly be. And they're approaching the end of that residence. And they're about to go into what we'll call the real world. And now, unfortunately, with the real world, the way it's set up, you can be the best doctor in the world. But if you don't have any business sense or any financial competency, you're not going to be as successful as you'd like to be. And it's amazing to me that even in medical school, they're not taught any kind of financial literacy. So one of the things that I really pride myself on, in addition to the approach and the, the, the success and my, my experiences, and we could talk about those types of things, but the idea that I can sit down with multiple generations of family members and align them all and understand what their goals and priorities are, what their considerations are, and be able to explain to each generation based on this level of sophistication, based on the level of education, etc., what this means and how it translates for their money, their disciplined approach, and what it will take to get there. And the beautiful thing among many about my job is that if I can sit in front of those multiple generations, I create this level of continuity that can't be replaced. Because a lot of people I work with are extremely wealthy, and they will never come out and say this, but their biggest concern is not running out of money, even though that's a lovely thing to think, and I hope everyone who's listening never runs out of money. But their biggest concern is how do they make sure their children, their grandchildren, their future generations aren't spoiled brats? And that's really, really important to them, but it's very difficult to, to isolate and, and articulate that. And the beauty of my role, because I'm only in my mid-30s and I've been doing this now for almost 15 years, is that I can understand and I can pull whatever that the, that moral compass is from, from that, uh, we'll call it the, the, the patriarch or the matriarch, and I can then take that and ensure or instill that, that moral compass, those values, into each of the future generations, and I can guarantee that at least three generations in, they're going to understand what the purpose of this money was and the value it provides. And hopefully, hopefully, if I do a good job, not only does it grow and provide for countless memories, but it also creates future legacy that may even be bigger than the one that they were given. I'm very curious about how you would do that, because one of the biggest problems, like you can have a successful business, family business, and typically how it goes is the grandparents build it, the parents maintain it, and the grandchildren squander it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you chuckle because that you know that that's how it usually goes. So because the, the, the grandparents had to work really, really hard in order to build it. And the parents were, were at least seeing part of that and they, they understood it. But by the time you hit the, the grandchildren, they've always had the money and everything's been easy. And what do you mean you need to work hard? It's just always been there. And they weren't part of that growth phase. So they don't, they don't understand money the same way that their grandparents or even their parents did. I think it's not that they, they, they don't understand money. They understand that it, that the value of it means you, you use it to, you know, buy something else. Um, but what I think they're missing, and this is purely just a function of the time we're talking, 
the grandparents went through the Great Depression. They went through two world wars. They had nothing at some point, and they knew what that felt like. Neither my generation or the generation in front of me ever went through that. Now, on individual levels, there are definitely people who have lost everything for various reasons outside of their control or inside their control. If you take those specifics out of the equation and just talk about the stuff that's out of your control, such as world wars or depressions, we haven't really had that. We were close in 08, 09. Uh, and while I was at Goldman Sachs, so it was early in my career and I managed a lot of very, I'll call them important people who were down in Washington, D.C. helping trying to fix the problems. So called, called in by, by Hank Paulson, who used to be the, the CEO of Goldman Sachs. And it was amazing to me and it was very eye-opening because it was the first time in my life that I recognized that people don't always have the answers and no one has really been through a depression. I, I, no one, in, at least in our generation or generation above me. And it was incredible to think that they had to rely, and this is not a bad thing, but they had to rely on people who had been through these types of scenarios before to help guide them. And they didn't even have the answer, but at least they had that that gravity and that, that experience to draw on. Um, and it actually leads me to something else that I've seen a lot in this day and age is that I think a lot of advisors have only been advising in up markets, and it's a little scary because when I look at some of these portfolios, it's very clear to me that the risk management has been out the window because the markets overall have just done so well. And I'm afraid for what's going to happen when we have that next major correction. I mean, historically, every seven or so years, you're going to see a peak to trough movement in the U.S. markets of down 20%. And it's been a long time since we've had that. And I'm just afraid about the experiences a lot of people are going to have because they're not properly managed on the risk end, even though the returns might be good. And I think that also leads towards your question about succession in businesses. Because these these grandchildren didn't earn the right to run the business, even though they may have worked there for a long time, um, but they didn't they didn't go through those growing pains, as you mentioned, right? They didn't go through those terrible, terrible downturns that may have nothing to do with the quality of their business and purely a function of the economic cycle. And until they go through that, it's a really dangerous situation. And that doesn't mean all of them are going to fail by, by no means. Many of them are successful, but I find that a lot of people who have successful businesses and have concerns decide to just sell it, sell it and take the money, diversify the risk. So you're now not concentrating one business model, diversify across. It could be the world, the country, et cetera, in various different investments and have a great diversified portfolio that that's firing on all different cylinders. That's well balanced. And that can be used to help fund a new business venture for those future generations. Yeah, because I've, I've been in the industry for 25 years now. And yeah, there's a lot of advisors that come in when things are good and, oh, yeah, I'll get you great returns and stuff. And they have never had to deal with any major corrections. And they have no idea how to deal with it or to protect against it because it's not if it comes, it's when and how hard and how long. Exactly right. And I think a lot of people are, are chasing a lot of uh, private equity right now. So those are investments that don't trade publicly. And there's some great opportunities in there. But I can tell you that there are very wealthy people when I managed money at Goldman Sachs who had very illiquid portfolios because over time these investments grew and grew to be bigger pieces of their portfolio and they never diversified. And when 08 ha happened and they had what they call capital calls, right? So these investments were saying, okay, you committed this much capital. We're calling some of it now to make some investments. They couldn't do it. 
they literally did not have the liquidity and they were trying to figure out where to get it from and everything was a depressed asset at that point so they didn't want to sell something else and it became really ugly and people forgot about the illiquidity component to investing and uh you know so i just caution readers i don't know i'm, I'm sorry listeners uh i don't know how you're invested and what you're investing in but harness the power of compound interest or compound growth harness the power of every fee that you pay is a guaranteed loss to you so minimize all these erosions along the way and do your best to get out of your own way right don't listen to the noise don't listen to the news don't listen to all these pundits saying the market's going up or going down I can tell you with confidence that every single day is a great day to start investing if you haven't done it because there is a positive expected return in investments. If you if, if there wasn't, then no one would invest their money. So regardless of where the market is today, 30 years from now, 20 years from now, it's going to be higher if you believe in capitalism. So harness that power of capitalism. Ignore all the noise. Stick to a really disciplined approach because markets go up and they go down. But if clients or, or people can be prepared so they can stick to their plan, that's really the secret to the success. And along the way, maybe you'll get really lucky and have some supernova events, some really big returns. But overall, just let the markets do their thing and just run with it and be disciplined with your approach and have a fiduciary advisor whose best interests are your interests only. Yeah, and that's 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 a very big thing, especially down <laughs> down in the states. I was quite surprised when I learned that that's just not an automatic requirement in your industry. It's it's pretty incredible. I think I think the industry is backwards. I, and I don't make that many friends saying this, but I think that the default should be anytime someone comes to me or another advisor for help, the default should be what they call the fiduciary responsibility, which means everything I do is in your best interest only. There's no cross-selling. There's no commissions. Everything is in your best interest. Any investment product or investment vehicle I put you in, it's because I think it's best for you. There's nothing in it for me. Uh, that's a fiduciary, and that's how I run my business. However, the way that it works is it's the actual opposite. When people come to advisor, the default is I'm going to charge you an advisory fee. I'm going to charge you commissions. If I recommend a mortgage or a credit card or something else to you, I'm going to get a fee for that. And I just think that's wrong. I think people should, should understand that they should get this unbiased product agnostic advice that's really best for them. And then if they have a specific view, if they want to create a market or make a trade that's specific that can't be executed in a product that's already existing, then charge a fee, charge a finding fee and all these things and execute it. And that's perfectly fine. There are a lot of sophisticated people out there where, where I used to work. We used to do that all the time for, for people who had specific views on, on the markets. But let them dictate that and let them say that's what I want. But let the default be, I'm going to do everything that's in your best interest until you tell me not to. And most often people don't say no. Well, in Canada, that is the default law, our laws are that we do have to look after our clients clients first. If there is anything that even could potentially be a conflict of interest, it has to be fully disclosed in that. So when when people hear about the differences about Canadian advisors and Americans, it, it it's quite shocking to them. So Yeah, Europe's even behind us, if you can imagine. Oh, I'm not I'm not familiar with the European system at all, but Oh it's my, worse. And that's really scary. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. And there's a, it's just, I don't want to harp on this too much, but, but I think that people who are listening to this podcast are already smarter than the average person because they're listening and they want to learn something new and they're open minded. 
And I just encourage you to look at whomever you're working with now, whatever relationship you have, and just ask, are you a fiduciary? And the answer is either yes or no. There's no other answer, right? So if they start going on some long-winded explanation, you know the answer is no. If yes, great. If no, ask them why not, and if there's an option for that. And, and what I find for me, at least for our business at Wonderless Wealth, most of our clients who come to us are because we evaluate their current relationship and just say, look, it's not optimized. It's not optimized for your best interest. Maybe this firm has a very specific idea on what's good to buy now, and we're not necessarily questioning their judgment, but we are questioning the execution. And why is the execution in this vehicle or that vehicle? Um, because that's not in your best interest. And when you back into the math, it goes back to the com- conversation about compound interest. If you could all of a sudden save 1% or 2% a year by just being a little bit smarter, and that compounds pre-tax, it becomes a massive number. It, it more than doubles your money after 30 years. And I make this similar. I, I had an experience once. I went to the dentist. I had a cavity. I, I knew it was a cavity, but I didn't know how you fix it. And you had something along the lines of a filling. And I go to the dentist, and they said, yes, you have a cavity, and we're going to fill it. And they filled it with a white compound. And my tooth hurt for a while, and I went to another dentist, and they explained to me that the white compound takes longer to mold or bond to your tooth. And they said, if they had used a silver compound, it wouldn't have any pain. So my next question was, well, why did they use white over silver? And this was a tooth in my back, back corner of my mouth. And the answer was, the dentist made more money on a white. Silver would have been more appropriate. And that's a perfect microcosm or or comparison to the financial industry. Just because you think you're getting good advice and it fits what you think you should be getting, in my case, I knew I had a cavity, they validated it, doesn't mean the execution is actually the best. And that makes a massive difference. And I've never really had a perfect tooth in that back corner ever since. So to wrap up here, because you're you're big on the financial literacy and and all that very important stuff, if you could make sure that... Kids coming out of high school know three things about money. What are the three things that you would say they would need to know? That time is on your side and take advantage of that. It doesn't matter how much you can save, but do something with the money. Just build money, accumulate money somehow. The second is think of a budget like a bucket of water that you fill up and then you dump out. If the water goes in, that's money, it fills up. If you dump it out, you spend the money, there's nothing left. Don't go over that amount. Don't use a credit card to offset that missing water in the bucket. It will get you in deep, deep trouble. And the third thing is just be aware. Listen to people who have made mistakes along the way and learn from them because they're not unique mistakes. They're repeatedly done by lots of people. And there are a lot of companies out there that are taking advantage of you because of that. So just be aware And don't be afraid to ask questions. And if you think you're having an issue, if you think there's something with money that doesn't make sense to you, it doesn't look right, maybe you're just not sure what to do, ask a few other people and just get advice. Because avoiding the mistakes will make you so much better in life financially than if you actually get yourself into one of these ruts. Yes, I'm a big fan. Learn from other people's boo-boos so you don't have to make them yourself. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to be with us on the podcast. It was great having you. Thank you so much. And I I encourage everyone to look at uh, wonderlesswealth.com to learn more about our approach. And and if it's something that resonates with you, we're happy to talk and see if we can be helpful. All right. Well, you have a good day. Thank you so much. You too. 
Before we leave each other, I would ask all of you listening to please subscribe to and rate my podcast. A review would be most appreciated and feedback is always welcome. Whether it be a comment, future topic suggestions, and or questions you or your kids would like to have answered in the Ask Tammy column on the financialfund.ca website. Please feel free to check me out on Facebook at Financial Foundations Children's Books, on Twitter at Financial Fund, and Instagram at Financial.Fun. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Financial Fund Podcast. Join Tammy Johnston again next week. For more information, please visit financialfund.ca.